Thank you for listening to the Coal Mine Podcast. This is David Cole in Dallas, Texas, and it's early May 2022. Recent headlines have been dominated by the leak of Justice Samuel Alito's draft majority opinion in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. A key sentence in that draft says, It is time to heed the Constitution and return the issue of abortion to the people's elected representatives. In Texas, Several recent court battles have showed that the people's elected representatives includes far more than the legislature, that there are not just two levels to our government, state and federal, but a third of local authorities. This episode considers how the role and powers of those additional elected representatives may affect the availability of abortion in a post-Roe world. Justice Samuel Alito's draft majority opinion in Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization focused on federalism, whether the legal framework for abortion should be established at the national level, as in Roe v. Wade, or by states, as in SB 8 and the criminal statutes that were addressed in Roe. He then concluded that state legislatures should make those laws, stating it is time to heed the Constitution and return the issue of abortion to the people's elected representatives. In Texas, however, a number of recent court battles during the pandemic have shown that the people's elected representatives are far more than just the elected members of our state legislature. There are not just two levels to the government, state and federal, but also a third, local authorities occupying a number of offices with distinct and significant responsibilities. Court battles are as follows. Starting in 2020, as the COVID-19 pandemic began, hard-fought litigation addressed the proper division of power between state and county government for conducting elections. The continuation of the pandemic then led to extensive litigation about the appropriate role of state, county, and local government authorities as to public health regulation. And finally, the litigation about the SB 8 law, officially called the Texas Heartbeat Act, which established a complex procedure for civil lawsuits about abortion, examined when the state can claim to have removed itself from the enforcement of a legal ban. Taken together, these lawsuits describe Texas government as far more complex and nuanced than had been fully appreciated before the COVID-19 pandemic. Three aspects of that complexity suggest ways that the people's elected representatives may react to Dobbs by taking steps to protect rather than attack or limit access to abortion. The first is prosecutorial discretion. In the mask mandate litigation, the Texas Attorney General argued that those cases should be dismissed because state government lacked authority to seek penalties for violating the governor's emergency order. That power, he argued, rested with district attorneys, prosecutors who are elected at the county level. The same holds true for the so-called trigger law criminalizing abortion that will likely take effect if the Supreme Court follows through on this draft opinion and does overrule Roe v. Wade. District attorneys will enforce that law, not the attorney general or another state-level official. And as the attorney general correctly pointed out in the mask mandate case, those county-level officials are free to set their own enforcement priorities. They are certainly not free to ignore state law, but abortion, as any other type of activity prescribed by a state criminal law, is something that county-level prosecutors must fit into a broader set of decisions about priorities for law enforcement in their community, given the desires of the community, the needs confronting the community, and so forth. The second is the concept of immunity from suit. Throughout the election, mask, and SB8 litigation, Texas uniformly took the position that its sovereign immunity as a state meant that it could not be sued in court about its decisions in those areas. 
Frequently, Texas would then also invoke rules of state court procedure that allow it, if it lost a ruling about jurisdiction, to immediately appeal it to the next level of the state court system, accompanied by an automatic stay of all other court proceedings in the meantime until the question of immunity is resolved. Relatedly, the mass cases emphasize the strong protection that Texas law gives to the exercise of religious and spiritual belief as to matters of personal autonomy. Claims that a masking or vaccination requirement violated personal conscience were taken very seriously in that litigation, and that protection is consistent with the more general concept in Texas law of ecclesiastical immunity, a doctrine that insulates a church from legal claims that implicate its internal governance that's done in accordance with its religious principles. Of course, here again, a local government or a church is not free to disregard Texas statewide law. But at the same time, if as a matter of public health, a local authority chose to facilitate its residents' access to out-of-state abortion resources, or as a matter of conscience, a faith-based organization did something similar, those entities would be able to assert immunity defenses to court challenges in good faith, given the way sovereign immunity was asserted and litigated about in the election mask and SB8 cases. And the third is the power of local ordinance. Here again, a locality is not free to disregard a statewide law, but the mask cases brought to light a surprising feature of Texas law. County is fairly characterized as a subdivision of the state of Texas, but a home rule city, which is most large cities in Texas, is not. It has its own sovereignty under the Texas Constitution that is at least somewhat independent of that of the state, particularly in the context of public health regulation, a city's own lawmaking power could be the basis for regulation in the abortion area. For example, by clarifying language in state law that may not be clear, or by filling in practical information for practitioners, for medical professionals that may not have been fully taken into account by the more general language in a state statute. In sum, the machinery of government should, in practice, really be no different than the wiring of a car or the programming of a computer. It should work no matter who turns the key or turns on the computer. Texas is a sprawling and highly diverse state with an equally complex system of government. The people's elected representatives in such a system have considerable authority and discretion as developed in these recent cases, and they may use that wisely and creatively in the wake of Dobbs as the elected representatives of the people of Texas. This week, I examine just what it may mean to, in Justice Alito's words, heed the Constitution and return the issue of abortion to the people's elected representatives. And I considered whether the far-flung government of Texas, with its many elected representatives at city and county levels, may have more nuance and diversity of opinion about the issue of abortion than Justice Alito's sentence assumes. In upcoming episodes, I will continue to explore the themes in this podcast, looking ahead to the legal structure of a post-Roe world, and further reviewing the lessons taught during the many court battles during the pandemic about separation of powers among the different parts and levels of our government. If you enjoy this podcast, you'll be happy to know that it recently made Chartable's list of the top 100 government podcasts in the country, and I encourage you to join other satisfied listeners on Apple Podcasts and leave a kind five-star review. I appreciate you listening. I look forward to sharing with you again soon. 